0: Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I am here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great too. It's like the most beautiful day in November that I can ever remember in my life. Right? Yeah, it's pretty nice outside. enjoying that. Do you have any true crime news you
1: wanted to talk about today? I do. So, there was a uh, news release, um, so it's human remains discovered in Florence County, Wisconsin. And uh, so it says here, the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation is investigating human skeletal remains discovered in Florence County on Friday, October 28, 2022. Um, during this morning of Friday, a hunter came across human skeletal remains in a rural wooded area in Florence County. Uh, Wisconsin forensics est- experts responded to the scene and determined the unidentified human skeletal remains belong to an adult female. Ongoing investiga- investigative efforts are being conducted to identify the remains and further the investigation. At this time, there is no indication. The remains match a known missing person from the Greater Florence County, uh, Wisconsin area. And then it has a phone number if you have any tips or any information that you can assist them on. And that number is 888-317-2426. And I can put that in our um social media post to, um, um, if you guys know anything about that, but I thought that was something that we should share.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping that it's gonna solve one of these missing persons cases. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I would imagine they have been reported missing. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, well, that's it for me.
0: Yeah. That's all I have, too. I don't think I have anything else, so we can get right into it if you want. That sounds good. I think you are first this week. Yep. I'm going to do one last spooky episode.
1: Yep. And
0: next week, we'll go back to more missing people.
1: <laughs> that
0: sounds good. All right. So this week, I am talking about the Wood County Assane Assault insane asylum okay have you heard about this no no okay so it currently has been torn down and now it is the marshfield scrap company that is on the property where it used to be um the current owner they came in and they spent three years tearing down the asylum
1: How does it take three years to tear down a place?
0: This is like, this was more than just a building. This is like an entire compound.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, that's still kind of crazy that it it took three years, though.
0: Yeah, it took three years. And I think they were hoping it wouldn't be haunted anymore. But
1: yeah, as we
0: know, (laughs) that's not how hauntings work. Right. And there's still some of the buildings are still there, too. They didn't. Demolished everything oh wow but they did um demolish and cleaned out everything that was had been condemned but there's still some haunted buildings and there's still hauntings just throughout the site in general and there's a lot of pictures of what it looks like before and what it looks like now on the marshfieldscrap.com website so even though they took over this spot and everything they still public like, the history alive on their website, which I thought was pretty cool. They have the whole entire story there. Yeah. So this asylum started in 1909. The Wood County Board said that they could have 640 acres in Marshfield for this insane asylum. And at one point, they had over a 1,000 acres that they were using for this. Wow. And i don't know if people are aware but you used to be called insane for everything
1: <laughs> you're not wrong
0: <laughs> like oh my god my wife cried four times she has hysteria
1: yeah. she needs
0: to go and get locked up right it's all different things um uh, people that just had you know mental health issues people that had learning disabilities right all different kinds of things people were put in asylums for which
1: kind of led
0: to the downfall of asylums
1: cuz they were which, like I mean, packed with people yeah
0: and it was just conditions that you shouldn't get hospitalized for or institutionalized, institutionalized for
1: right Yeah, exactly. Normal human emotions. I feel like you and I would have been thrown in there back in the day. Yeah, if we weren't
0: burned at the stake somewhere.
1: (laughs) Something (laughs) would have happened.
0: Something definitely would have happened. We were not built for open days. Oh, no. No. These women think that they can talk
1: back. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, my God. There's
0: clearly, there's clearly some men that still feel that way about us.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: <laughs> so in the beginning, and the community helped build the asylum, and they purchased everything locally or made it right there at the asylum, which I thought was pretty cool. The original building was 284 feet in length and 194 feet wide. And the West Wing was for the men. And they painted that blue inside, and the (laughs) east wing was for the women, and they painted it pink, as you do in 1909. And on the men's side, they had very secure nurses' stations. They apparently thought these men were, of course, going to attack the nurses. And then in the center wing, in the basement, there was an activity room, and the superintendent's quarters were above that. And they had their own water tower, which was 75 feet above the ground and had their water hoses. They had a boiler building where they burned wood and coal to heat from the steam. And then there was a tunnel. I love tunnels for hauntings, not to actually go in in real life, though. Right. <laughs> there was an underground tunnel, which was eight feet tall. At least it's like not a claustrophobic tunnel. <laughs> right yeah (laughs) eight feet tall six feet wide and a thousand feet long and it linked the main building to the heating plant the water tower a shower room and a storage area and it ran under highway a to a barn and this was a way for the patients that lived there to get to the barn because they worked at this farm okay like apparently they couldn't be in the community, but they could have jobs, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is. And the tun- and the tunnel is still there today. Wow. Yeah. There was fourteen inches of concrete on top of the tunnel, so this was like a heavy duty tunnel, like a bomb shelter almost.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And they also had a one lane bowling alley in the basement of the asylum. Oh, wow. Some of the patients even got to participate in a bowling league that competed with other asylums. (laughs) Oh, my
1: God. That's (laughs) crazy.
0: It's like 1909 was a crazy time. Yeah. (laughs) they, They finished building in June 10th of 1910. At the time, they could have 250 patients and they had a staff of 19 people. And... Like I said, these patients had to go work at the farm. They had an 18-acre garden. They grew their own vegetables. They had a fruit orchard with pears and apples and raspberries and black cherries and cherries and all different kinds of things. They would eat fresh fruit and then can them for the winter. Aww. And some of the apple orchard is still there. They had big bee boxes to pollinate the apple trees and produce honey. They produced their own milk. And some of it was sold at a Marshfield plant, and um, they grew tobacco on the farm for the patients because, of course, everyone smoked tobacco in
1: 1909.
0: they are really and then, yeah, like if it minus all of the insanity (laughs) and things that they were doing to people, it sounds like a great place to be. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's like a real nice compound to live on. So they have extra tobacco. They would sell it to the public. And then they would raise the money to pay for supplies that they needed at the facilities. The female patients would sew clothes and aprons and dresses, nightgowns, and bandages for the war. Okay. I think it's... Strange that these people had to be locked in here because they couldn't participate in real life, but they're participating in real life here.
1: Yeah, and they seem like they're doing pretty well. I mean, they're they're beekeepers. They're in a in a bowling league. They're tending to the apple orchard. Like, they seem like they're doing just fine. Right. And
0: then in 1933, they built a greenhouse entirely of glass, concrete, and steel. And they had 160 head of cattle, 225 hogs, 20 horses, and 900 chickens. And at this time, they had the best dairy herd in all of America.
1: No shit. Yeah.
0: So at the time, this asylum was a model experimental station for other asylums and had great respect all over the country. Wow. This is a great thing that you're doing. Yeah. And then... The greenhouse shade system that had been developed by the superintendent, Ellie Gilson, actually got patented and people traveled from all over to learn how to do this from him. Huh. Yeah. And they was about 500 relatives of patients would visit every month, which boosted the local economy. And there was a railroad station that ran right adjacent to the property. So it's like a whole little city all by itself.
1: It really is, yeah. But then in
0: 1936, one of the barns had burned down. So then it got built out of brick. And that's one of the things that still stands there today is this brick barn because the superintendent was like, I don't ever want this to happen again. So instead of building a wood barn, he built it completely out of brick. Okay. Now we'll get into like that all sounds so beautiful, right? It it really does. Except for that, they were doing electroshock therapy on hundreds of patients of all ages. Yeah, that's just electroshock a therapy big for. Yeah, I hate electroshock therapy, especially since they're doing it for depression, mania, schizophrenia, and also homosexuality and truancy.
1: Right. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that was a big thing for yeah being homosexual like I'm gonna
0: shock you into being straight like that that's not how life works guys
1: god or for being
0: truant like you're late all the time so I'm gonna shock you
1: I didn't know that was like a a mental condition of being (laughs) truant I have that mental condition (laughs) you do you do (laughs)
0: And the electroshock therapy was issued in a series of treatments, sometimes um, just like six treatments, and sometimes over 100 treatments. Oh no. The patients would be shackled to a gurney and a rubber block would be insert- inserted into their mouth so they wouldn't bite their tongues. And then they would put jelly on their temples and uh, connect the electrodes. And then the doctor would press the button. Which would cause a seizure for about 20 seconds. The patient will wake up about 30 minutes later with a headache and often broken bones and fractured vertebrae.
1: Oh, oh, God.
0: Yeah. It was not monitored closely, and eventually in 1960, it was no longer allowed to be used. Thank God. Yeah. Another treatment that they did was submerging patients in an ice water bath until they lost consciousness. So people believed that they needed to get whatever was going on with these people out of their bodies. So sometimes they would induce vomiting for hours or even days. Oh, my God. You could just, you know, the demons or whatever is in you. You can just throw up the...
1: Throw up your feelings. <laughs> I've never heard of throwing up your feelings.
0: No. Me no. either. It sounds fucking stupid.
1: Yeah, it sounds disgusting, too.
0: It does. Oh, it gets better. They also used the bleeding practice, which was supposed to bleed the bad blood out of people, but usually resulted in them dying.
1: Oh, my God. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, or,
1: Or I they don't... would need lifelong care. I know that's a thing, like, where, like, uh, acupuncture, you, like, get out the bad blood, or the the blood with the toxins, and then you, like, cycle that out. But, like, this seems excessive. Yes, definitely excessive.
0: And after the first, Ellie Gilson retired after 35 years, Von MJ Fernado was appointed to be the administrator. And then there was lots of other administrators after that um, because there was some suspicious things going on there. In addition to the suspicious things they were doing legally, there was also patients suspiciously dying and then employees would leave. Um, Patients that were being assaulted and then dying from internal injuries. So eventually, the property had to be shut down because they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were okay. doing a lot of crazy things. Yeah. So after it shut down, of course, there was a lot of people that were coming in and out looking for different things. They were stealing things, like stealing the chandeliers, stealing the old fire hoses, radiators, All kinds of anything that they could get out of there. People were coming to steal. Yeah. So. There. One of the big rumors about the haunting is that a maintenance man once committed suicide in the tunnels and his spirit still roams in the halls. And then there was a patient who had worked in the boiler room and he said when he opened, I don't know how they know this. He opened the door of the boiler and he saw the face of the devil. So he jumped into the boiler to try to get the devil. Yeah, that's true. Like, how would they know that? I don't know. But no one knows if his body was ever taken out of the boiler. So maybe he just still lives there.
1: Oh, man.
0: And two patients were killed in the tunnel between the main building and the farm. And they're reportedly haunting the tunnel area now. But the spirit that people see the most is a young girl with long, dark hair. She appears in windows and in the tunnels, but she seems to be a friendly spirit. She's probably just there because she was a girl and had feelings.
1: Right, yeah, just a normal teenage girl. Yep.
0: All right, So people have taken pictures and you can actually supposedly see the face of the ghost in some of these pictures. Oh, wow. I can share some of them.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And there's been different people who have done a paranormal research here and they have heard people's voices on the EVP recordings. They said that they have gotten actual EVP recordings through the different places here and there's just a lot of crazy stuff that people said that they have seen it's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in all of Wisconsin hmm. so you want to go check it out yeah I mean I'd rather not um <laughs> <laughs> when I was getting ready to talk about this today one of my friends was like well how do you know it's actually haunted did you go there and I was like no I didn't go he's like why didn't you go I said because nobody wants to go with me and he's like yeah me either right
1: I don't want to go talk to the insane ghosts I think I would be open to it under many conditions uh going <laughs> in the daytime not being there for too long I ain't going in no tunnels um oh, and I, tunnels I, scare me yeah and I don't think I want to go in the boiler room because those are creepy no matter what yeah definitely
0: no tunnels no boiler rooms
1: so jot that down
0: <laughs> yeah Definitely. But the paranormal investigators say it definitely is haunted. So.
1: Yeah. Right into us. If you've experienced anything, if you've gone, if you know anything, we want to know.
0: Yeah. We want to know all the things.
1: Mm-hmm. And now
0: you can tell us what are you going to tell us today?
1: Oh, OK. You ready? I'm ready. So I thought I was going to wrap up Jeffrey Dahmer by today. Apparently I cannot. <laughs> um, I have to. Does too it much. <laughs> if, for real. And um, there's just too much to cram it all in one episode. So I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna break it up. Um, so we're not almost to the end. Um, but we kind of are. <laughs> so I'm going to go into Jeffrey's background so Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born on May 26 1960 in Milwaukee Wisconsin his mother Annette Joyce Flint was a teletype machine instructor and his father Lionel Herbert Dahmer was a Marquette University chemistry student and later a research chemist um, he and he also had a younger brother that wasn't you know, part of the, the beginning of his life, um, right away. Um, so he was, as we all know, uh, known as the Milwaukee cannibal or the Milwaukee monster or the American serial killer or one of them. Um, but most, what it boils down to is he was a sex offender, um, and he was a serial, uh, Killer slash rapist. So, some sources report that Jeffrey was deprived of attention as an infant and became second best to his younger brother. Uh, His mother was known to be tense, in need of both attention and pity, and argumentative with her husband and neighbors. Uh, She was also known as a hypochondriac who suffered from depression and had. Attempted to commit suicide with Equinol. I believe that's how you say that. Um, So she was just not emotionally there. She was just. Yeah, sounds like she
0: has some mental health issues
1: going on. Right. His father was often not at home and he would be involved in university studies all the time. So basically father's not home mom's in her own state of mind so that kind of leaves you to do what you want and kind of just fend for yourself um I mean he had a home he had food he had clothes but the emotional stability was not there
0: yeah
1: his okay so overall neither parent devoted much time to their son who later spoke on that from an early age he felt unsure of the solidity of the family end quote His home was filled with extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents. Jeffrey as a child was a product of his environment and not born automatically a monster. So basically his childhood definitely shaped him. Jeffrey um, was known to be energetic and a happy child at first, but became subdued after a double hernia surgery shortly before his fourth birthday. After that, his elementary school regarded him as quiet and timid. Uh, one teacher later recollected she detected early signs of abandonment due to his family structure and home life. So he was just really not taking that well. And, you know, many people wouldn't, um, yeah. but not almost anybody would take it to his extreme. So um, this is definitely right. not an excuse. It's just what it ha- had happened to him.
0: Right.
1: So in October 1966, the family moved to Doyleston, uh, town, Ohio. Um, that is when his brother David was born and Jeffrey actually named him himself. So he was trying to be, you know, excited about it. Um, but it didn't really turn out the best for Jeffrey in the end, uh, the same year or that same year Lionel earned his degree and started work as an analytical chemist in, um, or nearby Akron, Ohio. Uh, It seemed that Jeffrey took a liking to science subjects, just like his father. He manifested an interest in dead animals at the age of four because he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home in the name of science. Mm. Lionel, stated that his son became oddly thrilled by the sound of bones and made and even named them fiddlesticks. So he really was just kind of like, not really, I didn't have a morbid sense about it. Yeah. He searched beneath and around the family home for bones and explored the bodies of live animals to discover where their bones were located. In 1968, the family moved again to Bath Township, Summit County, Ohio. This family tended to move around a lot, which to Jeffrey did not provide him a comfort um, or a feeling of certainty. So this new home uh, stood in one and a half acres of woodlands. uh, And it came with a small hut just in walking distance from the house. Uh, This seemed perfect for Jeffrey as he loved to collect large insects like dragonflies and moths um, and the skeletons of small animals. And then he would keep a few of the remains in jars um, of formaldehyde for preservation. And I know like kids definitely do that like you you do that in school where you dissect uh, the frog. I remember doing that or the pig in some schools. Um, so I mean, if you grow up in a home where there's science involved and you take a liking to it, that doesn't mean that you're you're weird or you're creepy or you're gonna end up being this way. It just so happened that this person ended up this way. Mm-hmm. According to one friend, Jeffrey explained to him that he was curious as to how animals fit together. And to be honest, I really didn't know what that meant initially. Um, But upon reading a little bit more into it, apparently what he was curious about was combining species together as Jeffrey decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing it to the body of a tree and impaling the skull upon a stick in the woodlands behind his house. So just kind Mm. of just doing all sorts of things.
0: Yeah.
1: He then thought it would be amusing to invite a friend over to see this prank. Uh, that same year, Lionel taught his son how to preserve animal bones. Annette began uh, increasing her daily consumption of equinol, laxatives, and sleeping pills, which ultimately made her like a real-life zombie. He was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizo Schizopal personality disorder and psychotic disorder. So eventually Jeffrey went to Revere High School and he was the outcast by the age of 14. Uh, He had began drinking beer and hard alcohol in daylight hours at school and at home and called it my medicine. Which to me is just so sad because how is a little kid like that just drinking so heavily or at all? It's just beyond me. He kept to himself, observed others with normal friendships and uh, courtships, but never was a part of any of it. His teachers would describe him as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. He was, you know, an okay tennis player. Um, And was briefly in the high school band. So he was trying to fit in, but he just really couldn't. Uh, Once he went through puberty, he knew for a fact that he was indeed gay. Um, But he didn't tell anybody. However, he did have a brief relationship with another teenage boy that nobody knew about as well. Um, This was about the time that he started to begin fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner. And when he would pleasure himself, the way he would get off would be to fantasize about dissection, which is not normal. No. He took his fantasies to life, real life, when he was 16, He would watch a male jogger in his neighborhood and wait for him in the bushes. Um, And sometimes he would wait there with a baseball bat. So his plan was to render him unconscious. However, the day that he really was like, I'm going to do this, that jogger did not go on the run. So Mm. it was divine intervention, in my opinion, um, that he did not lose his life that day. So Jeffrey grew out of um, the school outcast into the class clown. His pranks would be known as doing a Dahmer, where he would pretend to have epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy in public, and sometimes even for money. Uh, life at home wasn't any better at this point either. His mother found out that Lionel had an affair and they decided to get a divorce. And in 1978, Lionel moved out of the house um, and went to stay at a at a motel on North Cleveland, Mal- Massillon Road. Later that year, Jeffrey graduated from high school and after his mother and younger brother, David, moved out of the family home um, to live with relatives in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. So basically mom's like, I don't really care what you do, you're 18. I, she really doted on David, the younger brother. So she's like, I'm out of here. David's out of here. Your father has left. Um, So he was just kind of, you know, fending for himself at that point. Yeah. So after the divorce was finalized, Annette had full custody of David and Jeffrey was officially 18 and stayed in the family home alone and basically started this whole new life that we had talked about in the earlier episodes but what I didn't go into was that six weeks after the murder of Stephen Hicks Jeffrey's father and his fiance went back to the original family home and when they discovered that Jeffrey was living all by himself He, the, his dad really insisted that he do something with his life. So Jeffrey later enrolled at Ohio State University to major in business, but since he had a major drinking problem at this point in time, he failed his classes and ending up, uh, he ended up dropping out after three months. His father did try to convince him to go back and even paid for a second semester but he was not interested in doing that. Right. So he joined the army in 1997 and his father's at his father's insistence, but his off-duty drinking caused him to be deemed unsuitable for military service in March of 1981. So the army didn't even want him. No. On one occasion of insubordination his entire platoon was punished for his actions earning Jeffrey a severe beating from his fellow recruits so like nobody was having him. After the army gave him a plane ticket to go wherever he needed to go he ended up in for in a small stint in Miami Florida as he couldn't face his father because you know that was another disappointment. Yeah. Um, he got a job as a delicatessen, which is basically like a meat person, cut up meat, whatever. And he rented a room in a nearby motel. He kept drinking and all of his paychecks went to drinking. So ultimately he was evicted. His father then asked to, for him to return to Ohio knowing that he wasn't doing well on his own After Mm -hmm. his return to Ohio, he moved in with his father and stepmother and insisted on being, you know, given chores just to occupy his time and to, you know, contribute to the household while he looked for a job. But only two weeks after his return, he was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. Um, he was fined $60. I don't know what kind of fining system they had, but like $60. And I don't I mean, think drunken disorderly is that high of a
0: fine right now.
1: Yeah. So it was only $60 and they gave him suspended or they were suspended, um, for 10 days. And I mean, that was about it. So in December of 1981, um, Lionel and Jeffrey's stepmother, um, sent him back to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin, because they just couldn't take his drinking anymore. And I'm sure that he wasn't pleasant to be around when he was drinking all the time. And It seems like his behavior was just so weird. Yeah, exactly. Um, So his grandmother was the only person that ever cared about him and showed affection to him. But her good heart, change in scenery, and sense of security did not help him, as we all know. What started as a harmonious living situation ended up leading Jeffrey to have access to his deepest, darkest desires. Since, you know, his grandma wasn't like really up in his business a lot. You know, he had a house that he was living in. So that really opened up doors for him to do what he wanted to do. Right. In Early 1982, he found a job as a uh, at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He held this job for a total of 10 months before he was laid off. And then he did not work for two years and will live off of his poor grandmother, whatever she would give him. So just a you real big a <laughs> No, I can't. <laughs> And then on August 8th, 1982, he was arrested for indecent exposure at the Wisconsin State Fair Park. (laughs) Like, that's disgusting. He was convicted and fined $50 plus court costs. As many people know, in 1985, he started working at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, where he worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. six nights per week. But getting a job didn't change him either, and it didn't make him a better person, as we all know. In fact, almost immediately after he got the job, he was uh, propositioned sexually by another man while sitting, uh, reading in the West Allis Public Library. People are wild. Listen,
0: people are wild I love yeah. it Not, There's- I don't love the murder part but no. like the random weird stuff like I'm just gonna flash people at St. beer I'm gonna try to hook up at the library like what is going on
1: so this stranger man threw a note at him at Jeffrey offering to perform oral sex that like was nice of him. That that's just <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm like I'm here reading a book, and you're gonna just be like out here and in public. Like I I don't know. Um. <laughs> so Jeffrey didn't. Uh, I I'm surprised, but Jeffrey did not indulge in the offer. Hmm. um, But it did stir up in his mind, and it stirred his sexual desires. So he started to go to Milwaukee gay bars. Gay bathhouses, which I didn't know was a real thing. I thought it was a movie thing. Um, I didn't know it was a real thing either. Apparently it is. In Milwaukee? In Milwaukee. Like, still? <laughs> I don't know about still, but back back in, uh what what year? 1985? Yes. Okay. And you would go to bookstores because apparently that's where you go and pick up people, which I wouldn't mind that, you know? If people met at a bookstore. I feel like that's cute. Buy me a nice hardcover book. Yes. So by late 1985, Jeffrey had begun to regularly frequent the bathhouses. But after 12 instances, 12, the bathhouse administration revoked his membership and he began to use a hotel um, or multiple hotel rooms, i.e. the Ambassador Hotel And he discovered during these hotel encounters that during these sexual encounters, he became frustrated when his partner would move during the act. Um, He didn't like the lack of control um, that they had, or that he had, I'm sorry. And he didn't like the amount of control that they had moving around, doing what they wanted to do. So that's when he would bring the sleeping pills and the sedatives in the drinks. And you're probably wondering how he had this endless supply of sleeping pills and sedatives. Um, What he did was inform his doctor that he worked nights and required the tablets to adjust to that schedule. um, Which was surprising to me. So as if this wasn't enough, he got the idea to steal a freshly buried corpse um, and taking it home after reading about an obit in the newspaper. Uh, He actually did try to dig up the body, um, but he realized that the soil was too hard. So basically he was like, nah, fuck this. I'm going to go home. Um, I'm going to end on this last one. On September 8th, 1986, his track record was escalating more and more, and he was arrested and charged with lewd and lascivious behavior for masturbating in front of a 12-year-old boy by the river. When he was arrested, he first claimed he was peeing and didn't know that anybody was around him. But later on, he admitted that he was jerking off and he knew that there was a child there. Um, on March 10th, 1997, he was charged with disorderly conduct and was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions to undergo counseling. And that is when he met and murdered Stephen Tuami at the Ambassador Hotel. Following Stephen was Jamie Docs Dox Tuar, uh, Richard, um, Guerrero, and that was all at his grandmother's house. On April 23rd, he lured Ronald Flowers Jr. to his grandmother's house and gave him drugs and his coffee. However, Jeffrey's mother called out, is that you, Jeff? Due to the interference by that angel lady, he was not able to murder Ronald. Jeffrey then took Ronald to the County General Hospital instead due to him being drugged. Um, Ultimately, this all ended in uh, September 90, 1988, grandma had had enough of the drinking and the strange man and the foul odors coming from his rum and kicked him out. It's about time, grandma. <laughs> um, so I'm going to end it there because I feel like that's a good place. Okay. Next week, we will get into everything that he is going to do in, um, the apartment and the, um, you know, just stuff like that okay
0: all right we love you guys love you thanks for being here
1: bye Bye.
0: all the sins of wisconsin was written recorded edited and produced by fallon and mims thank you so much to all of our listeners supporters friends and family that continually allow us to do what we love
1: If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to. And email us your center tales at WI at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free
0: wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we love love you. you.